Hey, this is Pastor Joaquin G. Molina from Spring of Life Fellowship, and I want to welcome you to our podcast. I hope you're encouraged with this message and you stay the course to change the world. God bless you. Father, we give you thanks for this day that you have made. We rejoice. We are glad. There's there's a continual feast for those that love the Lord. So we pray that your word would be... uh, prepared before us as the bread of life, Lord, that your word would be a good seed that is planted in good hearts that will bring forth good fruit and that will multiply and fill the earth, Lord, in a harvest that glorifies your name. Let your word influence the way we think and the way we live. We pray your blessing upon Kevin, who we met yesterday, on Michael, whose birthday it was. We celebrated his eighth birthday. We celebrated uh, Pastor Claudia Molina's birthday this week, Lord, Pastor Medieros this month. Father, we pray your blessing upon your people. We pray that you give us a heart for you and that your word would be a lamp unto our feet and that we might rejoice knowing what we ought to do in this season. Prosper your word. And allow us to hear the voice of your spirit speaking into our generation at this very moment, Lord. Be glorified that we would be part of the answer and not part of the problem. That we would be part of the healing and not part of the sickness, O God. That we would rise up in the newness of life and hope and faith and love. And that we not walk in passive indifference in despair, and in a manner which does not please you. Continue to renew us and restore us and revive us and bring us to the place that we ought to be. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. It was at the crossroads of times like we're living right now that God would call his people to stand in the gap for a national repentance. One thing is to be individual. Another thing is to be family. It's altogether different to be community in a city. But when you're talking about a nation, God actually uses his people to turn the tide of a nation in in, in regards to what will happen in the coming days. And so today's message called Calling a Nation to Repentance deals with this issue. That we, the church, are responsible for the spiritual climate of our nation. As we look on the landscape of the Nick Cruises that go into schools with rifles and kill students, that's a national catastrophe. But more than this, it's a failure of the church to have reached a young man who had been in five foster homes. A man whose parents had died and passed away. His foster parents had uh, passed away also, and he's left in the community without family. And this is when the church has to be its, its most vibrant and fervent and effective. As we see the outcast of our communities, this is a, a great time for the church to intervene. And the Bible says like this, he says, that which is precious in the eyes of the Lord is to take care of the widows and the orphans, the single moms that need help, the young men who don't have fathers. If you ever see someone that is disparaged as a wife, you'll see she's lacking a husband with respect to that company 
that God created in the marriage covenant. If you see a young man that is a little bit disoriented, you'll see he doesn't have a father that's giving him a legacy of an example and pointing the way, giving him instruction. So a nation that has become strong in broken marriages, uh, uh, wanting to foment same-sex marriages is a catastrophe. And a nation of fatherless children where 80%, 80% of the inner cities have no fathers. The children are going to bed at night without dad at home. And this is not a political problem. It's not even a social problem. It's a spiritual problem. And the spiritual problem needs to be carried by the church. We're the ones that have been ordained. I believe it's Matthew 16, 18 that says like this. The gates of hell shall not prevail against my church. I will build my church. And the church is what protects the nation from hell thriving and flourishing. And how awful it is when the light has become darkness. We talked about this on Wednesday night. It's important that you would listen to that message. Uh, my wife said it's one of the most powerful messages that have ever come out of this pulpit. And it talked about the mercy and the grace of God and the incredible tapping in to embracing who God is. As he tells Moses, I'm going to show you my glory. You get in the cleft of the rock and I'm going to pass by. And I was thinking, man, with so many things that God has to show about who he is, he could have blown Moses away with his wisdom. He could have blown Moses away with his power or with his riches or with the treasures of heaven. But no, he decided that the greatest part of the expression of his nature is his mercy, his compassion, and his forgiveness. That he's willing to settle the accounts with all men. And we see that on the cross at Calvary, where his son is nailed to the cross to forgive the nation, the, the sins of the world. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin, not of a person or a people, but the entire world. So that stands on the balance with regards to you, not, not your sin, but your arrogance and your pride of not coming to forgiveness, that you might somehow in your brain figure that you will do without God's forgiveness. So the only thing left, the Bible says, is a horrible expectation of his wrath and judgment. He wishes that no man should perish, but that all turn from their sins to his forgiveness. So we're talking today about calling a nation to repentance calling a nation to turn from its ways. And as I see the scriptures and what God has before me, we can start going in Romans chapter 1, verse 28. Because we know the spiritual climate of the day. No one has to guess. Jesus says, when you look up and you see dark clouds, you know that there's rain, torrential rains coming. And if we were to look up as the church and we see with spiritual eyes, the things that others do not see. Because to us it's been given to know the secrets of God's timetable, of his schedule, of, of not being in darkness that this day should befall you by surprise. We look up to the spiritual climate of the dark clouds and we see chaos. 
We see confusion. We see lawlessness and disobedience. The climate of the day is deception. It's selfishness. It's iniquity. Everything has come to go against faith, against hope, and against love. And the Bible says that these three remains, and the greatest of these is love. So that our love is being perfected, not only on a proclamation level, we don't tell people we love them, we actually manifest the love of God in our hearts. We're reaching out to them. I recall years ago, there was a young lady. She was on the streets as a prostitute, as a crack addict, and we brought her into our home. And we could have put her up in a hotel. But I told my wife, I said, if we don't bring her home, she's not going to know the love of God. She will continue to be distanced without the embrace of a father. And so we, the church, are the ones that are moving in the direction of God, providing an answer. We're the ones that have open arms to the prodigals to come home. And so here in Romans chapter 1 verse 28, the Bible says, furthermore, just as they, talking about the nation, did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God. We, we have kicked God out of the schoolhouse in our nation. What is being taught in the school is a shameful embarrassment. They have to contrive curriculum that is so twisted, so embarrassing that the school educators will not even bring the curriculum to their own homes. They're talking about teaching children how mom could have not a, a father, but that a child could have two moms. The, the curriculums are here in Dade County that the children could have two fathers. And so now they're teaching something outside the word of God, outside the foundations of what he's created. And so he says, they didn't seem it, they didn't think it was worthwhile. They didn't think it was valuable to keep family values. So they did not retain the knowledge of God. They gave themselves over to a depraved mind. You got to be really nasty. You got to be unclean. You got to be twisted to not only begin to live in a manner that does not please God, but then to teach your children that that's the way they should go. So that they do what ought not to be done. So you, you can't even have a community when you have two women who come together in marriage because there's no seed there. And then you can't have a community if you have two men that come together because there's no womb to put the seed in. So that is a, a, a horrible predicament. And God would not have designed man in his image and likeness to be fruitful, to multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it and take dominion where there's no descendants where there's no fruit of the union. So we know they're teaching these things out of a sensual mindset. And I was telling people this week that if you ever see uh, two people come over together and get sensual and get sexual and not keep the framework of God, violence ensues. Because after sensuality, 
what breaks out is violence. And there, the wages of sin is not life, it's not peace, it's not joy. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So the spiritual climate of the day, the Bible says, in this regard, verse 29, is that men become of a sinful sort, become filled with every kind, not of righteousness, but of wickedness. You, you, don't, you don't curtail just a little bit of sin. It's like a snowball effect that increases and sin upon sin adds a torrential flood of wickedness, evil. It's the embodiment of evil. It's a selfish existence of greed. It's the depravity of not knowing how to define things. You don't know if it's a man, a woman, or a thing. But God created man in his image and likeness. God created woman to be a perfect helper. To be a virtuous woman. That's extreme wisdom. And then so it says, these men are full of envy, of murder, of strife. That's argument, dissension. That there's no agreement in the spiritual climate of the day. The Republicans have become against the Republicans. The Democrats have become socialist Marxists. The depravity of the nation is going to hell in a handbasket. It's full of deceit and malice. They are full of gossips. Verse 30. The, the description of the day in these sins are those who slander. I, I meet people all the time and they're like, rah, rah. I said, listen, can't you say anything good? Surely there must be something good to say about the fella. It just doesn't fit in your corrupt mouth because your words are full of vulgarity, full of insult and curse. They have become, the Bible says, haters of everything God. They don't even know the paradigms of God. They don't know his mercy. They don't know his great salvation. They don't know the nature of his forgiveness. We want to define the Old Testament God as a judger and a killer. When he shows his glory, he shows his mercy and his compassion. That's not what's getting out there as the good news. The people have become insolent. Insolent is a form of disobedience that moves into pride, that moves into arrogance, and now it's a bold-faced manifestation of disrespect. Arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. The depravity. I want to tell you that we haven't even escaped the superficial uh, level of wickedness. There's something called the dark web. And you're like, pastor, what's the dark web? You're not allowed to go there. It is so despicable that when the church leaves and moves out of here by the spirit of God and in the day of the Lord, upon the time of the rapture, the Lord is going to allow the dark web to come on the surface of the web. And then those of you that like excrement, that like darkness, 
that enjoy filth and sin and pride and arrogance and you live in the nature of Satan, you'll be able to see the reality that will fall, befall. The Bible says pray that you might escape. Pray that you might be delivered before the Lord allows these things to be unleashed upon the earth. Satan knows his time is small and he will make tremendous battle against the seed of the woman, the Christians that stay behind, the ones that were straddling the fence, the ones that didn't want to say, sit in the front row at church and say, hallelujah, I'm a Christian. I love God. I love the church. I love my pastor. I love the body of Christ. I love the word of God. I love the Lord's Supper. I love the celebration of the songs. I love the praise and the worship. And so these people who decided to not believe the truth, but they wanted to believe a lie, will begin, be given over to the man of lawlessness, the man of iniquity, because they wanted to invent ways of doing evil and to disobey their parents. You know, that's a challenge for our day. We say, oh, dad, I'm 25 now, I'm 30. I really don't need a dad now. Yes, Jesus showed us how a son is supposed to comport himself with the blessing of a father. That we might know what a father's blessing is in our lives to be able to exchange and to converse and to welcome a father's instruction. No longer as a 10-year-old getting spanked, but a 30-year-old getting your will out of the way. Father, I don't like this cup. Nevertheless, not my will, thine be done. I don't understand what you're saying, but I'm going to walk in obedience because I want the blessing of God the Father. And so disobedience to parents is a, a, a hallmark, paramark of the climate of our generation. A generation of people that do not know how to honor their mom and dad. Not in their youth, but in their old age. Verse 31, the Bible tells us that uh, these have no understanding. They never get it right. They never see it right. They never could tell it right. They could never leave it right. They don't leave an example. I tell men all the time, what I spent 10 years teaching you, what I spent my whole life modeling for you as an example, you're walking contrary to. You have no understanding. The Bible says they continue to know the truth but never come to understand and, and, and walk in truth. Always being instructed but never coming to the knowledge of truth. They have no faithfulness. They have no loyalty. They don't stand with anybody but themselves. They have no love and no mercy. This is the character attribute of the men God will judge in the last days. As we continue to read verse 32. That although they knew God's measure. They knew they know the righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death. There's no blessing in that. There's no reward. There's no compensation. There's no bonuses for those that walk in a manner that defies everything God has taught us. Those who do these things deserve death. These men, knowing that, not only do it, not only do they continue to do these things, but they approve, and if they were, I was telling Kevin yesterday, he's a drug addict, he's a, 
a man who's decided to walk in rebellion and disobedience, what would you tell Michael, who's eight years old, whose birthday it was yesterday? If he were to follow your footsteps, you would lead him into drug addiction. You would lead him into rebellion. You would lead him into an unclean life of perversion and twistedness and pornography. So we're not those people that are leaving footprints to death and destruction and disobedience. We're those that are showing how we suffer for righteous sake, righteousness sake. We are being obedient to our parents. We are walking in the honor of those that are, my dad's 86 and I'm 53. I can tell my dad, I don't need to listen to you no more. That's not my attitude. My attitude is I want to honor you to your very last breath. I want to know that I'm walking in a manner that makes you proud of me at my expense. Because this life is not about me. This life is about honoring those God has given me. So the Bible says that the climate of our day is well known. And we know that you could draw a line between darkness and light, between truth and lies. And even though the devil hides, and, and you know something, I'm thinking about the Old Testament battles. I have a list here of the battles that took place, and we're fighting the battle of our generation. If you're talking about the generation of Adam where the serpent wanted to destroy that generation, there was a godly seed that came out of there and was preserved. And Enoch got taken up to the presence of God and the devil was not able to bring his destruction upon man. In the days of Noah, there was an entire generation that did not want to seek God and their continual thoughts were for evil, but God preserved a remnant. And Noah and his family were able to be saved in the ark. In the days of Abraham, Ishmael tried to steal Isaac's inheritance, and he wasn't able to. And Lot tried to divert Abraham from his purpose, and they must separate. But Abraham's seed has prevailed, and Abraham has become the, faith, the father of our faith. In the days of Joas, his unbelieving brothers wanted to sideswipe him, but God prevailed. And he kept Joseph and made him a prince of Egypt. In the days of Elijah, Jezebel... And Ahab came to Ahab came to tell Elijah, I'm gonna kill you like you killed all my prophets. Tomorrow you're gonna be dead. Guess what happened? Jezebel died, and Elijah continued forward to this day. He's on the Mount of Transfiguration with Jesus. We see in the life of Moses that Pharaoh decided he would come against him, but he was, he was able to deliver millions of Jews out of Egypt and prevail. In the days of David, Goliath sit there, sat there and said, today I'm going to feed you to the birds of the air. And David was prevailed and victorious. In the days of Jesus, they said they would crucify him and destroy what he was attempting to do to be the Lamb of God, but on the third day he rose from the dead and resurrected forevermore. And the church is being challenged by a generation of ungodly. I want to tell you that we will prevail. That we will stand to see the day of God's victory in the land, despite the threats. Man, everything dark is being said about our day and how horrible November 4th will be and the days that are coming. Let me just pronounce and be prophetic and say that God is going to show up 
and he's going to blow everyone away. And you're either be on God's side of salvation and victory and triumph, or you're going to be on the opposite side of his judgment and wrath, and you don't want to stand there. You might be thinking you're playing politics and you're going against the Republicans or the Democrats or Trump or Biden. But the truth is you have a call to be the church. You have the call to be a person that stands in the gap like it says in Ezekiel. I want to read this verse real quickly. That God is looking for a people that will stand in the gap. I believe it's Ezekiel 22, 30. The Bible says that God seeks for a man who would stand in the gap and build the difference to stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land. That's what we're talking about this morning. We want to be the church. We don't have a political persuasion. We don't have a a Republican mindset, conservative or liberal. We stand where Christ draws the lines. I look for someone amongst them who will build up a wall, a reference place, and stand before me to say, darkness stops here. Lies stop here. Perversion stops here. Ungodliness stops here. Sin stops here. And that we stand in that gap and defend the cause of the Lord so on behalf of the land so that he will not destroy it. And men have done this in the past, knowing in Proverbs 14, 34, that what exalts a nation is righteousness. It's not economics. It's not political. The Bible says in Proverbs 14, 34, that righteousness exalts a nation. What raises up a nation so that it remains, and there's all sorts of threats. Oh, America will never be what it was supposed to be. Listen to me. What makes America great, it's that it's one nation under God. It's a nation that adheres to the word of God. There is still people of faith and a remnant in this land willing to stand in the gap and see this nation exalted, not by the Republicans, not by Donald Trump, not by the promises of the left or the right, but a desire to please God because sin is a disgrace to any people. Righteousness exalts a nation. We see in the book of Hosea, chapter 4, verse 6, the prophets say, my people are destroyed because they walk in lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you as my priest. Because you ignored my law, the law of your God, I will also ignore the benefits to your children years ago nick would tell me dad how do you know it's going to go well with me how will i know that my life he was just graduating from high school and he asked that question how do i know that my life stands to be a blessing i said because you're a man who fears god because you're a man who keeps the word of the lord Because you're a man who meditates on his law day and night. The Bible says you'll be a tree planted next to the waters, giving forth fruit in your season, and everything you do will prosper. The guarantee of the prosperity of our children is they forget not God. I was telling Kevin yesterday, get into the Bible. Get into knowing the nature and the heart and the character of God. That's the hope of our nation. We're not to be forgotten by God. 
We're not to be rejected as his people. The tide of darkness has increased in the land. Matthew 23, 31, Jesus says, So you testify yourselves that you are the offspring of those who kill the prophets. A lot of you say, that's not me. Yes, it is you. In the Old Testament, when they didn't like what the pastor was saying, they threw rocks at him and killed him. And you're saying, you're not like that. Yet when the pastor speaks to you, you don't tolerate his words. You distance yourself. You get offended. You have a difference of opinion. We have 11 pastors here. You decide not to talk to any of them because you have your own mindset. You are a descendant of those who murder the prophets of old. And how does Jesus, you say, you're close to Jesus. Well, let's see what Jesus think about you. Verse 33. You snakes. You serpents. You twisted little fellas. You brood of vipers. How will you escape when I judge those that are going to hell? How is it that you have a different formula and in some manner you've been deceived? In your thoughts, you don't tolerate obedience. You don't tolerate denying yourself. You don't tolerate honor. Those are not the measures of the currency with which you live. You have a whole other scale and it's a dishonest scale. It's not forthright. Verse 34, therefore take notice, I'm sending you prophets and wise men. I'm sending to you messengers and sages who will instruct you. Some of them you will kill, some you will crucify, and others you will flog. You will harm them and pursue them from town to town. Jesus is talking to a nation that does not tolerate the instrumentalities of righteousness. They do not tolerate the voice of a pastor speaking into their life. It becomes like acid. They don't want to feel righteousness on top of their iniquity. Verse 35, so then on you will come to guilt of the blood of the righteous that has been shed on the earth. For the blood of the righteous, Abel, to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Jesus went back from the beginning of time, from Abel that was killed by Cain, because Abel wanted to offer a more excellent sacrifice. And Cain's Sacrifice was not accepted, nor did God look upon it with pleasure. The way that he worshiped was not right. And so Cain came against Abel and killed his brother. So the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah is there as a witness against these people. Verse 36, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, all this will come on this generation. You're going to have the judgment because of the things that have done. Verse 37, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who murder my prophets and stone those who say I send to you. 
I'm weary today about who I meet with and who I sit at the table with because what I have to say to them on behalf of the Lord might not be to their liking. So the gift of God is not to throw pearls to the swine because Jesus says they will trample the pearls and persecute you. How could you believe the pastor told me? Ah. And the further they justify their wickedness, the further depth of hell they will experience. How often, Jesus says, I long to gather your children, your offspring, like a hen that brings her chicks under her wings. But you didn't want a place of protection. You didn't want a place of wisdom and prosperity and peace. Jesus says, when you listen to these men, it's like being taken under the wings of his protection. Verse 38, listen carefully. Your house is being left to you in ruins. You have decided you don't want my protection. You have decided you don't want to be part of a serious church. You don't want to have the counsel of God. You don't want to be spoken to as a son and receive instruction. You have decided to pull away. In that regards, 1 Thessalonians 2.14 says, For you, brothers and sisters, who are walking as imitators of God, Paul is saying there's a big difference which you are in Christ Jesus. You suffer from your own people the same things those churches suffered from the Jews. Verse 15. Those who killed the Lord Jesus Christ. Those who persecuted and killed the prophets and drove us out. Do you know people that have driven pastors out of their home? For one reason, to not hear the word of the Lord, to not feel constrained by the government of God, the kingdom of God. They displease God and are hostile to everyone. Verse 16, they forbid us speaking. They don't want us to speak to their friends. Their friends might get saved. Their friends might come to the Lord and become real Christians when they're not. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Paul is describing these people who walk contrary to the heart of God. Jeremiah 18.7, this is the verse that I want you to have today. This is the verse of the message of a calling a nation to repentance. God says, if at any time I announce that a nation or a kingdom is to be uprooted, torn down, and destroyed, and America is headed in the wrong direction as it continues to disintegrate the word of God and faith and church and spirituality. If God is intent on uprooting and tearing down and destroying the nation, verse 8, and if that nation that I warn repents of its evil, Repentance is a gift of God. Repentance is the permission to make a U-turn and go in the opposite direction. Talking to a teenager last week, I said, listen, you have many choices and many options. But the best option you have is that of repentance. Because as soon as you repent, times of refreshing will come from the Lord. Acts 3.19. That you might repent... And see times of refreshing coming from the Lord and that your sins might be wiped out. What a great gift of God to any nation. The gift of repentance. 
Jeremiah 18, 7 says, at that time, when I, concerning the nation, and I want to uproot and break down and destroy, verse 8, if that nation against which I spoke turns from evil and repents, I will relent and not inflict on it the disaster that I had planned. We've already seen plenty of disasters in our nation. Plenty of hurricanes, plenty of fires and earthquakes and tornadoes and whirlwinds. We've seen famine. We've seen contaminated waters. We've seen abortion clinics filled to the hilt. God says if we repent and turn from the evil, he will relent and reverse his decision concerning the devastation that he intended to do. Verse 9. And if at another time I announce that a nation or kingdom is to be built up and planted, verse 10, and if it does evil in my sight and does not obey me, then I will reconsider the good I had intended to do for it. So in the balance today, several days before our election, we have the opportunity to begin to turn in a direction that pleases God. I have the examples of all manner of men here, from Nehemiah to Daniel to Ezekiel to David, they all stood before the Lord and repented for the sins of the nation. And I want you in the next couple of days to be able to kneel down with your families and to stand in the gap between the destruction and the devastation of this nation or it's receiving the mercy of God on November 4th and seeing God heal our land. That you, you haven't done an abortion, you haven't killed anyone, you haven't disrespected, you haven't been disobedient. But stand in the gap between these people like Nehemiah did. He says, Lord, my father sinned against you. I have the prayer right here. It's really powerful. And Nehemiah would stand there and says, you know something, Lord? As I see the destruction that's about to befall us, I want to stand in the gap before my fathers. Let's go to Jeremiah 3.25 first. For we have sinned. He takes upon all the sins of a nation. And he says, let us lie down in our shame and our disgrace. For we have sinned against the Lord our God, both we and our ancestors before us. From our youth till this day, we have not obeyed the Lord your God, the Lord our God. That we could stand as Jonah did when he went to Nineveh and proclaimed repentance to that nation. The Bible says they all turned around and started seeking God. They started repenting and tearing themselves and throwing ash heap on themselves as a nation we will collapse without the favor of God without the goodness of God Ezra chapter 10 verse 7 they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to all the exiles and they were assembled at Jerusalem verse 8 Ezra 10 verse 8 and that whoever would not come within the three days by the order of the council of the leaders and the elders, all his possessions and properties would be forfeited. And he himself would be excluded from the assembly. Verse 9. So all the men of Judah gathered at Jerusalem within three days. And it was 
the 20th day of the ninth month, and all the people sat in the open square in front of the house of God, trembling because of the matter that was at hand, the heavy rains that were falling. God has a special place for his people in this day to stand in the gap and to intercede for our nation that it might repent. Nehemiah chapter 1, verse 5, I want you to hear these words. Nehemiah begs on behalf of a nation that God would spare it, saying, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and his commandments. Verse 6. Let your ear be attentive. Let your eyes be open to hear the prayers of this servant who is praying before you this day. For your servants, the people of Israel, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. How powerful it is that the church in this time would not be driven by political strife and the winds of adversity, but that we might kneel down and direct our thoughts and our words to the gods of heaven that he might forgive the sins of the people of America, including ourselves as citizens, our fathers who were before us, who committed sins against the God of heaven. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that we have been at the house of God, listening to the word of God from the man of God. We pray that that word would come into our lives and into our families, that we not be moved by the tide and the erosion of morality in our day, but that we might stand in the gap and make a difference interceding for this land. Father, we have already voted 50% of the nation has voted in these elections uh, before the day of elections. Father, the remainder of this nation stands to move on behalf of righteousness for the last days. We pray that you would have mercy upon our land. Forgive our sins for they are many. The flood of darkness doesn't determine how deep that darkness is. But the church is indifferent and hasn't stood up to speak for the, those who cannot speak. We have not ministered the way we should. We have not walked in the manner that shows the character of Christ. We have divided your church. We have fragmented and divided your family. We have tried to bring division and adversity and disobedience into the house and family of God. So Father, have mercy upon us. And allow us to repent and be made whole. Allow us to be restored. Allow us to honor those you've given us. And to walk in righteousness, Lord. Being your people for these last days. Forgive our sins. And wash us with the precious blood of Jesus. Allow us to walk in righteousness. Allow your kingdom to prevail in our midst. Continue to separate a people unto yourself. To sanctify those who... Come near your forgiveness, your throne of grace. We pray your blessing upon your people today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.